All right, my friends, welcome to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right. This is my weekly time to get together with you guys as you're driving to work, uh, as you're in between job sites, as you're maybe on a family vacation and talk about all the things that I don't have time to talk about on YouTube. This podcast is my time to really expand. Now, full disclosure, I have a crazy life going on right now because I'm building my own personal house. So on this episode, I actually have two guests. I've got two of my builder buddies uh, that work with me, Tim Hill, who's my vice president of construction at Reisinger Build, and Steve Leeson, who's my chief operating officer. These are two chiefs in my company that really run a big part of my organization. And the other thing about these guys that you should know is that they're older. These guys are both in their 60s. They've been around a long time. Tim's been in the building business for over four decades. And Steve, actually, I got him out of retirement from another business. So he's only been with me five years, but he's been in the business world for a long, long time. And I think this topic is one that's going to resonate with you. We're talking today about getting out of trouble and staying out of trouble as a builder. With that being said, let me pass over the mic to these two guys. The Build Show podcast from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas. Let's get going. Hi, this is Steve Leeson and Tim Hill. We both work for Matt Reisinger. And he asked us today to talk a little bit more about the business of building. And the business of building we're going to talk about today is something that Tim and I are super deep experts in. How to get out of trouble after you already got into it. However, what we're going to talk about today is just the first part, how to get out of trouble. <laughs> or how to try to stay out if it's at all possible. Well, we have found ourselves in a few of those situations over the years and when you simply look at us and you understand how many years that is, <laughs> you can absolutely understand the level of expertise that's involved here, at least if you think experience equals expertise. That's right. I think last week we talked about naming this podcast, These Old Guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then we knew for sure no one would listen. <laughs> well, Tim, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this, and Tim's a master builder. He's been doing this for a really long time. And, uh, and we do spend a little bit of time talking about this every now and then, particularly in what I would call the post-mortem scenario where we're thinking, wow, that could have gone better. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, home building autopsy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, you know, we kind of divided this, I think, into two parts that we wanted to talk about. One is... Uh, I, I don't want to. I want to say this correctly. One is is deciding to work with somebody to build their home, and that, while they think it's a big decision for them, it's a big decision for us too. It is, and there goes. There's a lot that goes into the process of building a relationship with a potential client, and all the communication and all the documentation that has to go into that process so that each party fully understands what the strengths and uh, responsibilities are of each other, um, what we're relying and trusting on each other to do. Um, it, it, and it takes a while. It's not something that you can enter into in a day or a week. It takes, generally in our case, months to develop that relationship and decide 
this is the right client for us and for them to decide this is the right builder for us. And as you pointed out in a conversation we had, ideally, at the end of that process, you want a client that is practically begging you to be their builder because they've developed a trust for you that um, gives them the assurances they need to move on. You know, and, and that's one of the things I want people that aren't builders to know is that for a good builder, your trust is really what we want more than anything else. We, we want that more than the job. We want that more than the, boy, you guys built me a great house. Because it is when we know we're operating together in a trust relationship that we're freed up to do our best work on your behalf. That's right. And I think if, if a builder develops the attitude that the trust he's developed with his clients is his primary asset worth more than all the equipment, all the vehicles, all the personnel uh, that he has, uh, and he strives to maintain that, he will ultimately be successful. You know, I, I think a lot about the fact that this is my second career. And uh, I moved around a lot in my first career and built a number of custom homes. And I thought I knew a lot about home building. I didn't know anything about home building. Well, you, you came from a business background that taught you that business worked a certain way based on the models that you had developed. And you tried to apply that to the home building model and it didn't necessarily fit very well. No, it's amazing. And, uh, and yet at the same time, some of those things that you learn always do carry you along for some amount of time. But I do think that uh, in home building, we always, uh, we always have a pipeline of new business opportunities that we're working with. And obviously at this time throughout the country, particularly here in Austin, there's a lot of people that need a home builder or somebody that can do a whole house remodel. So times are very good. But the thing that's constantly nags at us, and we all know, is this is a cyclical industry there will come a time when we don't have enough business. What we do then uh, can, and, and really the decisions we're making today on who we're going to build a house for are really decisions that are going to dominate the next two to three years of our life. That's right. Our relationships last a long time. We have a client. We just finished a four plus million dollar whole house remodel for them. 10 years ago, we did exactly the same thing for these same people. And that trust that we developed 10 years ago with this same client is what led them to us to do the second job. And subsequently, they've bought additional properties and plan to hire us to do additional work for them. And as long as we can maintain those types of relationships with our clients, we will continue to cyclically endure any financial economic cycles that may present to us. Yeah. And, and, you know, Tim, the thing is, is that, and you and I talk about this all the time, that if there was just one picture that we could show a client and have them understand, it's that we understand that uh, our job is to balance the cost of managing the construction of a home 
versus the cost of the corrections and the details and the changes that have to be made because you didn't have enough management on that particular topic or even worse, sometimes we just flat make mistakes. And all of those things, that balancing act is, I think, the hardest thing to understand uh, for people that come from different industries. It is, and I think we continue to evolve our philosophy and understanding of the sweet spot of proper project management. Too much is too expensive and there's no return. Too little, there are too many mistakes made, too many things fall through the cracks, and it's very costly from a collateral damage standpoint. So we have developed a system where it takes regular frequent monitoring of these projects to know how much additional management or throttling back of management is necessary uh, almost like you know maintaining the speed of a vehicle uh, with the with the accelerator uh, of a gas pedal by applying more pressure more management more intensive oversight versus backing off of that um, because if you I mean obviously you could put five six project managers on a job and minimize uh, oversight to mistakes yeah. right however there would there would be other collateral damage in terms of inefficiencies and cost overruns uh, because management is expensive um, that lead to other problems that in some cases would be much worse than uh, a, 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 an oversight on some construction defect that um, I think we do a pretty good job of managing that you know when it comes down to it there's really uh, there's three or four different events on the horizon. One is is the interaction with a potential client. Then there, uh, when the potential client becomes a client, there's the the various stages that you go through in construction and the different things that happen, uh, whether it's them making decisions about things, changing their mind about things, whether it's us dealing with all the different issues and. Obviously, the last two years have been a really challenging time with labor shortages and material supply hangups and uh, and that kind of thing, and managing through the COVID crisis with mm -hmm. our teams, both here in the office and our subcontractors. So, you know, there's always something new going on. But so you have that, and then you have the post uh, major construction relationship where. Uh, they still have questions. They need little things done or tuned up. So there's these kind of three stages. And then we hope for that fourth stage, and we've had multiple repeat clients, uh, which is they come to you for a remodel or to build a new project for them. So, so we have these four events. What do you think, Tim, if I were to say, let's just talk about the, the courtship. What's the most important thing for us to convey and what's what are we looking to see from that client well i'd i'd certainly say that's a very very broad we could do a podcast just specifically on that topic but to try to generalize it certainly trust building um information flow under you know explaining how the process works uh what the different tools are that we use to make the process efficient and make the communication flow properly, 
all that information you have to get across to the client during that courtship phase. And all of that happens at the same time that you're doing budget development, schedule development, contractual development. Um, at the same time, working with the entire design team, you know, the architects, the interior designers, engineers, all those people that have input. And sometimes you're not really the leader of that group. Sometimes you're just the facilitator. Um, a lot of our projects are architect driven and we have to be very responsive to not just what the client wants, but what the architect's vision is too. So I think what, what we primary thing we have to get across to the client is that we are the information, information gathering tool that allows them to make the decisions, the educated decisions that they need to move forward. We give them pricing feedback, scheduling feedback, um, design difficulty feedback. Value engineering. Value engineering, letting them know what each design component does for them or how it potentially handicaps them. Um, and so that, that way they're given the tools they need. And, and, and once they see that, we're able to, from experience and from diligent work, come up with this information in real time so that they can move forward quickly. Once they see that, that trust begins to develop. And they, they look to us as their trusted advisor. You know, they have their design team. They have their creative team that's, that's creating their vision. But they need someone to advise them about the practical aspects of moving forward with that design. You know, um, I was working with an advertising agency in a much larger company in high tech one time, and we were developing uh, a new brand. And uh, the brand uh, value that we wanted to go for was trusted guide. And we were looking at photographs, you know, of generally it's like an Indian type person looking out over the horizon, make, you know, pointing in a certain direction or something. just something to get that trust built. And, and I think trust, like so many things, takes a long time to make, uh, to make happen and, is just, and can be destroyed in an instant. And the, the, the unfortunate thing, my observation about home building is depending upon how a client may be feeling, maybe they had a bad day, maybe they had a fight with, the, with their spouse, uh, maybe uh, their financial situation has changed and they're mid-course in the job, whatever is going on in their life, and then as a builder, uh, we make a mistake, and that happens. Despite our desire for it not to happen, it just happens. It's the way we react to that that uh, can be the difference between destroying the trust or helping it uh, grow even further. And just tell me about some times when you've had a client just go postal on you about something that happened at the job site. What are you going to do about that? How do you handle that? So that you come out of that with another win instead of a big loss. Well, I can think of a lot of different levels of intensity of that, that problem. I, I will say that you've, you've struck on the nuance of proper home building and proper project management client relationships. And that nuance is... 
you can, you can be as professional as you possibly can, and you can you can give the clients all this real time information that you gather, and that goes a long way. But at some point, you have to develop a somewhat personal relationship with these people. Home building is not like building a commercial building. It's not a purely business transaction. This is a personal transaction for these people. This is their, this is their livelihood. It's their lifestyle. It's, it's, it's where they're going to sleep. It's where they're going to eat. It's going to where they're going to raise their children. It's a very personal thing for them. So all of the things that go into it, they take personally. And all of the things in their personal life, they bring to this project. So once you develop this personal relationship with these people, you have to let them share their personal problems with you and understand why they may be having a bad day or why they react to bad news adversely. The other side of that is that those situations can be mitigated somewhat by properly setting people's expectations before those things happen letting them know that this is sausage being made in a sense right so in a, in a big factory that's right <laughs> and so there are going to be problems and, and part of that dance we talked about earlier that initial uh getting to know each other period is just that it's your opportunity to let these people know how messy this can be and that we're going to minimize that as much as we can by being professional and doing our homework. But there will be things that are unavoidable, that were, that were design defects, that were uh, existing conditions that were unforeseeable. And like we talked about with uh, proper amounts of management, uh, you can try to anticipate all those things as much as you can, but at some point you put more management dollars in anticipation than the dollars it would take to deal with the problem that comes up that was unforeseen. That's kind of a hard concept to understand, but I think that's right. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So we recently had a client who um, we had an, a temporary air conditioning unit set up inside a house to kind of try to maintain climate control during construction. And uh, it's a condensate pump backed up and leaked damaging some existing wood flooring coming through the ceiling below. And they don't know anything about construction, and they have legal background, and so their knee-jerk reaction was, oh, my God, there's mold. There's going to be mold because there was you know, water infiltration. That, but they didn't understand it was, at a, it was a brief 24-hour event that was dealt with, dried out, inspected. You know, there, there was no potential for mold because never had time to, to develop. Um, so my, my, this was all happening over email cause they don't live there while this project is going on. And so, um, we were trying to solve this problem back and forth by email conversation. It was just escalating into something that I could see was potentially going to get out of hand. So the only way to deal with this was phone call. I couldn't meet with them in person cause they weren't here. So I went through the entire process of what happened, you know, blow by blow, event by event, how it was dealt with, uh, it reassured them that we've done this before. This is a construction site. There's always water intrusion from pipes that are cut to be extended or repaired. 
their leak exposure when the roof is going on and you have a rain event. Water to a construction site is not uncommon. It's, it's fairly common. Um, but if you deal with it properly, it's, it's not a, 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 an event that creates any kind of organic growth. Mm-hmm. And so once they were assured that we, we did it the way we were supposed to do and they understood the dynamics behind what causes mold or what prevents mold, then they were, they were fine moving forward. But at some one point, they wanted to stop construction, hire a mold inspector, and have them come out. And I can tell you the mold inspector wouldn't have found anything. He would have just said, why are you calling me? But anyway, those are the kinds of things that you just have to, and I don't want to say handhold because that's demeaning, but it basically reassure uh, clients to, to some great degree that you've got it under control uh, and you have their best interest in mind. Right, and and I can even see why they could see it as almost being self-serving on our part for being defending it. But that's where the trust bank account that you built up before that meeting sometimes has to have a debit taken out of it. Right. Uh, that's why I think that you have to build the trust up front. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for some people to do because if you look at when you're trying to get somebody to become your client and you want them as a client, you uh, whether it's the timing of the job, the size of the job, the, the, the design, uh, how it fits into your production schedule, when you think you'll be ready to build another one, there's a there's hundred factors that we as business people are looking at to determine you know, what commitments to make in terms of the next project we're gonna take on. But at the end of the day, our business is uh, has a requirement that we are signing new contracts for both uh, whole house remodels and new sales of uh, new new homes, and so when you're in that mode, you want to be in sales mode, and and the problem with sales mode is that what we really need to be doing is making sure that this make trying to understand what they understand about the construction process because for some reason most people think they understand what we're doing i think there's some people that get it but the vast majority of them uh have this thought process that if i had enough time on my own i could just do this myself i'd hire a few subcontractors we'd pour a slab uh, get a framer, da 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 da. After all, they've seen it on reality TV done over <laughs> and over again, right? Yeah, yeah, right. At a fraction of the cost. So, At a fraction. Yeah, no, that, so, that's right. And and like we talked about a while ago, they also take their own personal business models and try to overlay them on ours. Yes. And that's the mistake they make. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, you know, I start sizing up the client from the initial contact. Like if it comes in and it says, "I'd like to get a bid." I already am beginning to think they think of us as someone who bids on jobs as opposed to their trusted guide through the construction process of what most people uh, talk to us and say, this is my forever home. And uh, so, so there's this, it's almost, it's almost counterintuitive. You, you and I kind of have our own uh, process together. We call it bad news first. Uh, 
we try to emphasize the issues that the client is going to face during the process. Uh, because if you tell them what could happen, like some, we're a cost plus builder. They say, well, does it ever go over the estimate that you give us? And I always answer that with, it always goes over. It's not, does it ever, it always goes over. Why don't we talk about the range of how far over it could possibly go? Now, that's counterintuitive. That's not going to get a lot of people excited about doing business with you. However, it always does go over. So I want to see how they're going to react. Because if that's a disaster, let's not have that disaster together. Yeah, and I think uh, one of our previous colleagues had used a phrase that I, I find helpful when explaining that process to clients. And that is that we want to be on the same side of the table as they are. So they understand that it is a team that we put assemble, put together, that goes through this process and decides those value propositions about who to hire. It's not a matter of bidding things. It's a matter of collecting information about good, better, best. What's the value proposition for plumbing on this project? What's the value proposition for roofing? What are your options? Who are the different contractors? What are their strengths and weaknesses? Let's collectively decide who the team is and what that team represents as far as a price to build your home. Try to identify the unknowns and quantify those and collectively put together a budget that we can live with throughout this process, knowing that the budget is an estimate. It's our best guide for getting us financially through this project, item by item, category by category. And we've chosen those numbers in that budget together. So if there's an overrun, it's a team decision for it to cost more. It's not a mistake on someone's part. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, yeah. and that, but that's hard. It is. Because, like, when you go buy a car, which is usually the second most expensive thing you buy, you generally know at least what it's going to cost, unless it's a German car and you're worried about maintenance. Yeah, but they've, <laughs> they've built millions of that same yeah. model, and hopefully they have it down to the penny. That's right. And if we were to build that same $10 million custom home 1.5 million times. I bet we'd know what it costs. We'd know exactly what it would cost, yeah. that last one. Uh -huh. right? So it's, it's not a fair comparison if people are trying to compare commodities to home building. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's, once you get under contract, and now we're out building the house, there's always um, little setbacks that are chipping away at the relationship. And depending upon what the setbacks are, whether it could be a cost overrun, it could be a, a bust in the estimate, it could be a mistake. It could be a mistake we made. Uh, it could be a mistake a subcontractor made while we were managing the project. It could be uh, an unknown condition. Uh, it could be the pandemic. I remember we were shutting job sites down at the start of the pandemic, and we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't know when we were going to be allowed to start working again. Right. Uh, so these can range from very modest things to very major things. 
But one of the things that I've learned uh, over the years here is uh, that you have to always put yourself in that homeowner's shoes. And uh, it's, it's a hard thing to do sometimes because we know exactly what happened. We may have seen this happen 36 times, <laughs> you know, like, for example, the, uh, the problem with the condensate pump on that air conditioner. That is not the first time that has ever happened. That's right. Uh, and we also know enough about mold that we know that we're going to get in there, we're going to open it up, we're going to dry it up, we're going to put some uh, some chemicals on it, and it is. And when we tighten that back up and close it back down, there's not going to be any mold now or forever. We know that they don't know it. How do you handle that? Well, the two parts to that. One, of course, is like we talked about, including them in the process and giving them feedback and narrative that explains how things work. I, I try to do it in a way that isn't uh, perceived as mansplaining, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the other part is, I think, um, another nuance. And that's the old adage that perception is reality. If you put your self and other in your client's shoes imagine how they perceive something that is said or something that they see that to them is catastrophic to us is an everyday event mm -hmm. and, and i think it's 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 probably pretty hard to talk about specific examples of that but they're they exist throughout the entire process if they've never built a house before, they're not familiar with how we do things, and we haven't taken the time to explain how it's going to go, then when they see something go wrong, they think it's, it's catastrophic. It's never happened before. This is the first time they've ever seen it. Um, we have to react professionally. We have to explain to them that we're on top of it. It's taken care of. Uh, there are no long-term consequences to this. It's a short-term problem, uh, and it's just part of the sausage-making process. <laughs> so what's the worst mistake you've ever made in dealing with a client? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because uh, there's so many different types. I've had a client manipulate me and and try and try to um you know get the better of my good nature um and i probably didn't react to that properly um i've probably um tried to shield the client too much sometimes from some bad event or some oversight um to the point where they they thought, man, I think this guy's trying to, you know, create a smoke screen or something. And I, I probably should have been more honest with them. But, you know, so you learn from those mistakes and you, you just try to uh, anticipate them and, and deal with them before they happen as best you can. Um, How about clients that are just the greatest clients you've ever had? What made them great? 
Well, uh, certainly having resources to do the job properly and the way they want it. You know, if somebody um, has the combination of, uh, you know, good-natured, good-spirited, pragmatic behavior, and they have deep pockets, then they can pretty much get what they want, um, regardless of what it costs. But smart people, even though they have the resources, they know when they're wasting money and when they're not. And so they, they just want from you that value proposition. Is this worth me spending an extra stewardship ten thousand dollars yeah for something that i might get a hundred dollars worth of benefit for mm-hmm. and you have to walk them through that and, yeah. and tell them you know sure this this will make your house more energy efficient sure it'll make it last 10 years longer sure it'll um be more comfortable um all those things they have to weigh you know whether it's worth the extra money um but those clients trust you. That's the key point, is that you've developed this trust relationship, and they ask you those questions. They're smart people. They can make good decisions, but they know they're smart enough to know they need good data from a trusted professional who has the experience in what they're trying to find to ask those questions to. Mm-hmm. And if you give them honest answers, they'll use it and quickly make decisions so you can move on. That's a great client. Mm-hmm. I uh, also think that, um, unfortunately, we give our clients, and I'm talking about builders in general, as they go through the process with us, they tend to see the issues that we face. And sometimes they think, why are you all doing it that way? Why is the work so sequential? Why do you not manage, you know, why is it that sometimes things need rework? If you'd been on top of your game, you'd have caught it and it wouldn't need rework. And then we have to go into this long explanation where it's it's cheaper to let the occasional thing go wrong and rework it than it is to have somebody there that knows your plans well enough to where they can stop that before it's a problem. Yeah. No, there, there's a lot of moving parts in project management, and some clients understand that, you know, if their if their goal is to get in the house quickly, uh, for you to build the velocity and momentum of continuing construction, there are going to be uh, things that fall through the cracks. They're going to be, as we talked about, collateral damage, mm-hmm. because that process of pushing the job hard, bringing people in early, letting them overlap with each other, work on top of each other, that creates problems. It keeps the job moving forward. I don't think you get a full return on effort, uh, but the bottom line is it does get them in quicker, but it, it does create situations where you have to redo things sometimes. And a lot of times when the job moves that quickly, the design team can't make decisions as quickly as the job is progressing. And so you, you install things a certain way, assuming you know what the design team wants. But quite often you have a design team that they don't know what they want, but they know what they don't want when they see it. Mm-hmm. So 
once it's installed, it's like, oh, that's not what we were thinking. Let's redo it this way. Mm-hmm. Then that makes the owners upset, you know, and invariably we take our share of the blame. Yeah. What do you do when you take that blame? Besides go home and maybe have an extra Michelob light. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. You, you, you try as humbly as possible to um, say, you know, I'm sorry we were wrapped up in keeping the job moving forward and should have taken more time and slowed the job down to be more deliberate and make sure we had everyone's input before we made those decisions. Now, what that says is that I'm sorry that you screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you never want to say that. You just want to say, you know, I'll take my share of the responsibility for trying to keep this job moving forward, knowing that there was the risk of having something like this happen. And, And they'll get that. Yeah. So let's kind of wrap things up and kind of go through and create. And and we didn't have this decided upon when we walked in here, but it just occurred to me. A checklist for our fellow builders for the most important things you can do to end up with a a client who's delighted, who's going to use you again, who's going to tell their friends about what just happened. I think – I think – not being too eager to get the job is helpful. I think that a really good estimate is very helpful. And this is whether you're a fixed fixed price builder or a cost plus builder. Right. Because if you're a fixed price builder, if you've got a tight estimate, you're not looking at that job every day thinking, I'm losing my shirt on this one. So, you know, how can I save a little more money Uh you know, and maybe that's the cheaper water heater than, you know, what I thought I would put in. Uh, so those are the kind of things that I think about. But I think there's also, um, there's, there's something about understanding when that client has had it over something. We call it project fatigue. I've heard that term many, many times. And just understanding that, even if we're right and the client isn't, they're still the client, and so they're right. That's right. And those situations have a tendency to happen when there's an incomplete design or the process, the, the run-up to construction start was rushed. There wasn't, an, there wasn't a proper estimate. There wasn't a proper schedule built. There wasn't good enough communication about you know, how the process was going to work. And so the client is fatigued with all the information uh, and, and negative feedback or negative uh, blowback that occurs because of lack of preparation. The, we always tell clients, the longer you give us to work through this estimating process, the more accurate it will be, the more detailed the design and the decisions from the interior designer and the architect are, the more accurate the budget will be. And and not only the budget, but more accurately we can predict the schedule because there are less unknowns. Unknowns are the enemy. And the more there are, 
the more collateral damage there's going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing we can let our clients know. It's their decision. If they want to rush to start, if they want to give us a four-page set of plans to build from, there's going to be a lot of variables in budget and schedule. If they understand that, they're willing to assume that risk. You know, that's that's on them, but it is going to be messy. What a, uh, have you ever had a design or a uh, uh, a situation such as you know the 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 site that you just knew going in that it was just going to be brutal? Yeah, the, uh, the site we just. Wrap, or wrapping up a job on it's in a it's a difficult neighborhood it's well controlled by the homeowners association it's a gated community that's a one-way street going in and out the driveways are very narrow the, there's no staging delivery of any equipment or any large order of materials is almost impossible um just on and on and on but they have specific hours that you're allowed to work um no parking on one side of the street, you know, all those things that go into, it's almost like building in a high-rise condo downtown. Uh, it's impossible to get materials there, workers there. It's impossible to park. Um, and, and and people, quite honestly, they try to avoid projects like that because they've got projects they can go to where those problems don't exist. So it takes longer. When it takes longer, it costs more money. So as long as you know those things going in and the client's aware of them and you budget properly for those contingencies, then it, it goes smoother. But it's, it's been a challenge, real tough. And the clients are great, wonderful people. They understand. They feel sorry for everyone working there. They've actually brought a lot of meals on site to try to keep people happy there. But, you know, that's, that's one of those sites. Mm -hmm. Well, as you sit here and think about it, if there were three things that you could have every client of every home builder understand perfectly that would cause, and, and these three things, if every client of every home builder understood perfectly would cause the majority of the problems that happen during building homes to go away, what would those be? That's a, How's that for a question? Well, that's, I guess I could, take that kind of front end or during construction or I don't know. But um, I think it, this goes back to what I just said. If a client understands that complete, thorough design and planning resolves most potential problems, that's a big thing. And I think they don't have any idea when they bring you a set of plans that they paid $30,000 for, or they bring you a plans that they paid $400,000 for. They haven't done this before, so they don't know are these complete or not. Now, some people bring us in a set of plans that needs a dolly to carry the plans around. <laughs> I think they pretty much know they've, they've got everything they could possibly need. Those plans intimidate people because they are so detailed, but when you get started on them, the questions answer themselves because if you look deep enough into the plans, the floor plan references a detail. That detail represents an elevation. That elevation represents another detail. You just keep digging deeper and deeper, and all your an your answers are in there. You don't get a set of plans like that very often. 
and they are very expensive. But you should be able to estimate those jobs and schedule those jobs very accurately. Okay, that's one. Okay, well, I'd say the second thing is understanding what we talked about in um, potential pitfalls, potential uh, bad things that can happen, making sure that um, they understand that even the, the best laid plans are going to have some degree of problems. And it can be things that we don't have control over, like pandemics, mm-hmm. like uh, supply chain shortages, you know, uh, economic upheaval. Here, here locally, we have an economy that's never been seen before uh, in this area. I mean, uh, it, it's, I can't even describe it. It's so unique. The market gets so hot, so uh, hyperinflated. There's no way you can supply enough materials or find enough labor to keep jobs moving ahead the way you think you should. Uh, People have to understand that those outside things are going to happen that you don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think uh, the other thing is that... um, We have, to, we have to develop a relationship that they trust us. And I think we have to get that across to them. If you don't hire us until you've developed a unique trust that gives you the confidence to feel like, even though there are going to be problems, even though there are a lot of unknowns, we will make it right. We will do the right thing make the best decisions we can on their behalf to make this project a success. And so if you can get, I guess if you get those three things across to them, generally the project will work fine. They have to be um, in a position to, to be a a, a member of a team. Mm -hmm. It can't be an us versus them. If you ever get the feeling that your clients are working opposite you, Mm-hmm. Or that they look at you as a competitor or someone. Or a commodity. A commodity. Run. Yeah. Run. You know, I think this trust thing is really what we should call this podcast. It's because, first of all, when you build somebody's home, they really, I mean, it's they're, they're, they are entrusting you with something that's a really big deal to them. Mm -hmm. Most people do not custom build a home because they thought, oh, what the heck, I need one, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, As a matter of fact, a lot of people elect not to custom build because they don't want to go through the process because they've heard so many horror stories. And, And so this notion of trust, you know, it's like, I really love it when people ask us a whole bunch of questions. I'd like it when a client wants to know what are our credentials? How were you trained? How long have you been doing this? How long have you been doing it together? Uh, I want them to talk to our best subcontractors. I want them to talk to our banker. I can want them to, I, I, I'd let them talk to our lawyer. Uh, I want them to talk to our references. You know, some people 
I, I, it, never, it blows my mind. You can give people a dozen references, they don't call them. And they go, well, you wouldn't give me the reference if they weren't good. The important thing is we have good references. <laughs> you know, it's so counterintuitive. Um, do you have a technical background? Are you qualified to build a house? Um, do you understand the materials? How, how do you train the members of your team who are going to be working on this? What's important to you? These are the questions that they should care about. And I see that they're almost, they never ask that stuff. Like they all, all they want to know is what's it going to cost? And, and look, we get that cost is important. It's important to us because uh, we don't want to waste our clients' money. That's part of the trust relationship. That's why you picked us. That's, that's an element of trust. But it's not the right way to pick a builder because there are so many other things that if you don't get that part right, I can guarantee you the cost is going to be out of control. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's right. So, so this is... You know, this started out to be a podcast on what could go wrong or what I've learned that could go wrong, but it really is a, a, a discussion of how to trust. And trust is something that takes a long time to develop, an instant uh, to, to wreck it. And, and yet, for that one to three year time frame that we're all working together, we gotta have it. It's, otherwise, it's not gonna make either side happy. And, and, and so what I would tell clients or what I would tell other builders is don't sign that contract unless signing that contract is as a result of the trust that has been developed in the pre-construction process. I think that's, that's really the game changer. Because if they don't trust you, they're going to challenge you on every single thing you do. And by about the 58th time that happens, there's a lot of agita starting to pop up yeah. in those conversations. Yeah, that's true. It is. Well, thanks, Tim. It's always great talking to you. Um, anything else to add? Sorry. Microf microphone problem. Oh, uh, okay. There it is. Joey, we okay? Maybe it's, maybe it's a headphone problem. Ah. Anyway. Well, I hope the headphones aren't too tight. <laughs> Now there's a there's a whole another topic that we'll go into in another uh, podcast about those individual decisions we make during construction that I think are important for not only our own reputation but for the benefit of our clients as well. But uh, I think we've covered uh, best practices in client relationships uh, as thoroughly as we could in this period of time. Um, but I'm sure we'll always find more to add. Yeah, you bet. Well, thanks a bunch. All right. Thank you, Steve.